All right, everybody. Hey, welcome this morning to New Life Church. The sun is shining. How about that? <laughs> How about that? It was, I was wondering. I started to doubt. I had a little bit of doubt. Was, was Noah around, you know? Was he around? But uh, thankful. <laughs> thankful for sun. Amen. When it rains like that, it makes you appreciate the light that can happen. And uh, that'll also preach another day as well. Uh, well, listen, let me invite you to open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. I have to flip a little ways to the back of the New Testament if you're unfamiliar with where it's located. We'll also have scripture on the screen for you to follow along as well. But we want to read our opening main text this morning. How about Natalie and Matt Koss this morning? Praise God for them. They're out of South Haven. Good things can come from South Haven, and uh, so we're thankful for them. Uh, longtime friends of uh, the Varghese family in our, in our church, as well some other folks here in our congregation, and uh, like to bring those guys back sometime. It'd be fun. You, would you like to have them back sometime? Yeah. Yeah. yeah amen. Well, they're gonna, I'm going to have them come back here in a few minutes when I wrap up, so they're going to... Uh, if, if, uh, make sure we get that word passed on to them. They're catching their breath, but want them to come back and close out our service this morning. But listen, we're in Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 14 through 16. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, that's who he's, that's who he's referring to, our high priest, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help when we need it most. What do you find at the throne of our gracious God? You find mercy and you find grace to help us in our life. Let's pray over this today. Oh Lord, we are thankful for your presence. Thankful, Lord, that you use us and use folks in our church to help stir us up, Lord, and help encourage us to to look up and to look out to see you and to have faith for you O lord and this morning as we open your word we ask you spirit of god speak to us may we not see your word just in our natural eyes and understanding but you teach us throughout your scriptures to ask for an understanding heart to pray and ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that's what we do right now We need your spirit to speak. So, Lord, speak through me. Speak to all of us today. And we know when you speak and we hear, our life is greater for it. So let it happen today, we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody can say amen Amen. and amen. Starting a new series. It's a short series uh, because we're planning to start another one in a couple of weeks. But I plan to start this last week, but... The Holy Spirit had different plans, and about 85% of everyone who was in attendance we prayed for and ministered to. It was just one of those days. 
uh, that that uh, God had carved out a little different than what we had carved out. And uh, but we're starting this series. It's called Can You Relate? It's called Can You Relate? It's about relationships and uh, really relationships of all kinds uh, from from friendship to marriage to uh, work related relationships to um, family dynamics and relationships in the family to French like I said friendships on the in our school etc with peers all kinds of friendships so what what the Lord is giving us to share with you today and in, in, in the coming week or so is is really uh, uh, one of those things that will apply across the board and so uh, we are relational creatures we are relational beings God made us for relationship because our God our creator is relational all right we were built and made hardwired for relationship inside and um and so here's the thing though but relationships on earth are not all easy sometimes they're not all that easy sometimes they they often take hard work to bring out the best anybody agree with that if you don't agree you don't know anything about involving intimacy in a relationship with truth and honesty okay but they take hard work to bring out the best oftentimes most of the time uh, relationships soar and they bring refreshing they're rewarding uh, they're fulfilling but oftentimes as well relationships can be disappointing uh, they can be painful uh, relationships can can be frustrating and, and because of all of that because it's we're people we're human and, and we have error right and uh, and so we mix all that together and, and it and, all, and, and it can create some challenging times but when you bring the Lord involved in your life and the relationships that you have it changes the dynamic it changes and shifts the entire game of that and so so we're gonna look at a couple of things uh, some core essentials out of God's Word that uh, really are going to help us um, um, in, in understanding our role as relational beings and, and how that applies across the board because uh, um, we don't want to be too quick to end a relationship with someone just because it's not going so well. We want to we press, we want to labor. It's called the labor of love. And that's from, a, again, from a friendship all the way through the covenant of marriage, everything. Relationships are vital, people, because people are vital. I mean, God didn't waste his time when he created us. In fact, he calls us his masterpiece. And we're created new in Christ Jesus to do the good things that he planned for us to do. And that happens to be attached to people. That happens to be attached to people. But today I want to talk about one specific topic, and that is the topic of rejection. Rejection. If you ever want to get an amen, you better sit right here. Because they amen, y'all. That's the amen front row right here. But I'm thankful for hungry young people, aren't you? People that want to learn, young people that want to get it, people that don't want to have to learn through the school of hard knocks, amen? They just want to get it right the first time. Praise God for hungry young people, hungry hearts for the Lord. Praise God. Not that old people don't have hungry hearts. How'd you like that say? May we all have hungry hearts, amen? See, relationships, that was a test. That was a test. You're going to put me out right here and there? You're going to give me a chance? All right, that's a test. That's a test. But talk about rejection. Uh, if you felt rejected just then, listen to this message. It's going to help you out. 
But I've titled today's message, Rejection Will Not Steal My Affection. Rejection will not steal my affection. Rejection, it just it means to refuse to have, to take, a, ref, a refusal to recognize, a refusal to accept. It means to discard as useless. That's okay for trash, but it's not good for people. Right? I think we probably could all fall in the category of admitting to ourselves that we have overlooked and discounted others in our time. And we could probably, and most of us probably have felt overlooked ourselves and not accepted for different things. And it happens. It happens to all of us. Rejection happens at all levels. It happens with peers. It, ha- it starts way back on the playground days. It happens. Rejection happens all across the board. It happens at different ages. Uh, it happens in different seasons of life. It happens in different ways. Um, and and it, it's, it's, it's not easy to deal with. Rejection is not something that is uh, just easy to deal with sometimes. And, uh, but relationships experience that. Relationships go through that and experience that. And here's the, here's the thing we need to remember, though, as we, as we take this through today's message, is, is that we are not alone. You need to know that you're not alone. We are not alone because we have someone who can relate. We have someone who can relate. As Hebrews calls him our high priest, Jesus, understands all of, their, all of our weaknesses, and he has faced all of the same testings that you and I have ever faced and will ever face. He has gone through that. So if there's anyone who ever understands and can ever relate, it's Jesus Christ. And so we need to understand that if we ever want to gain healing from rejection, and if we don't want to do that and repeat that and, and carry and pass that on to other people, then we need to go to the one who has been there. We need to go to the one who has conquered it. We need to go to the one who shows us how to navigate through the treacherous waters of rejection. And that is Jesus, who understands us. When I, I grew up playing baseball, I love playing baseball. I grew up from t- uh, from uh, t-ball and then all the way through playing ba- I love baseball I would get a I have I still have my glove and bats and bags and cleats I, if you said let's have a pickup game today and my wife said yeah you can go I believe me I'd be out there on the diamond today it wouldn't even have to be a real field I just would play ball anybody feel me I just love playing baseball I grew up playing baseball uh, so much so that w- by the time I got to high school I tried out for my high school baseball team. Now, I'm not bragging when I tell you that I'm good, because I am good. It ain't bragging when it's the truth. Now, I never, I wasn't a flaunter. I, I, I didn't flaunt it out to you. I didn't, I didn't talk trash to you. I just let my game do the talking for me. I love getting dirty on the dirt. If I came home from a game and I wasn't dirty, I didn't play right. If I didn't have that grass stain and I didn't have that dirt stain, I just didn't play right. Because I like getting dirty. But I love playing baseball. I tried out in my freshman year for base, for the high school baseball team. I got to the last cut and the, and the coach cut me on the last day. 
It was that was rejection for a kid who just loved baseball. That was rejection. I hated it. But he came over to me and said, hey, listen, I like you. I, I want you to be able to get a spot on this team. It's just not going to happen this year. But if you will just help me kind of co-manage the team, in other words, if you'll be the gopher, then next year come try out, we're going to look at getting you a spot on the team. And I was like, okay, fine, let's try it out. Let's do it. I played rec ball in the offseason, and, um, and and, but that particular season of baseball was like February and March and into April in high school is kind of how it worked. Back then, I don't know if it still does now or not, but um, I did that. Uh, I, I carried the the equipment, took picked it up, got it out. And he gave me a uh, gave me the team hat, gave me a, a team jersey for doing that. Next season, I go. I'm out on the field. I get there. I, I try out. Three day cut. Third day, last cut. He cuts me. I know. You felt that. I felt that. And I was like, dang. You told me I would. I went up to him, and I said, you told me if I would do the thing, like you said. He said, yeah, but I told you I would look for getting you a spot on the team. And I looked, but I didn't find it, basically. And I'm like, wow. He said, if you'll do it one more year, come back out next year and try out. I was like, I know where this is going. My daddy ain't a booster club member, so I get it. So uh, I'm not going to do this game anymore. I played rec ball and went on about my life, but later that summer, what I didn't know was that God had my number, and that was the summer that I gave my heart to the Lord. That was the summer that Jesus found me, and I found him, and it was wrecked with his love, and was no longer affected by rejection. Didn't mean that from then on, I never would have rejection, or never deal with rejection from different things. It just meant now I had somebody who understood me, at least I knew someone who understood me and was in my corner giving me tips and giving me coaching and helping me understand that you can't let rejection become an infection and live inside of you. I feel like I might be preaching to a couple people today. And so... Rejection is something, folks, you and I all deal with at different layers, different levels. Jesus himself dealt with rejection. And I'm going to invite you to look over in the story of Matthew chapter 26. And with the remaining time we have, I'm going to look at this story. He's right in the thick of rejection. And he he's, he's, he's with, takes his disciples. He had just got through... Um, having a final meal with them, and, and he actually told them, he said, you know, you guys are all going to desert me after tonight. And they were like, no, 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 that's not true, that's not going to happen, and he's like, yeah, it's going to happen. He had already knew, he already had set himself up for understanding this, and earlier in the, in the, in the ministry season of him, he, he had already experienced a wave of disciples, a wave of followers leaving him. John six sixty six says, and at that time, many disciples left him. Many disciples left him. So it was not something he was unfamiliar with. He, he knew exactly. But this was where it was all kind of coming together. And, and, it's, and, and look at this in verse 36. It'll be on the screen. Matthew 26, 36. Jesus went with his disciples to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. The word Gethsemane literally means the place of pressing. The place of pressing. And so Jesus just puts himself right in the middle of this pressure. And he's just going to show us 
how you and I can deal with the pressure of rejection. I don't. I, I don't. I, I know how it feels. You get. You get. No one likes to be overlooked. No one likes to be counted out. No one likes to feel robbed in a relationship of any kind. But Jesus is showing. He's going to show us some things here that we're going to walk through, and we may jog through it or run through it. We'll see how fast we go. But he shows us some things on, he's like, he's going to make a statement here, right in the place of pressing. Right in the place of uh, where his soul is feeling rejected. When you're rejected, man, your soul feels it. Every part of your livelihood feels that sting of rejection and pain of rejection. You left, you didn't care, you kicked me out, you overlooked me, you didn't pick me, you won't have me. Your soul feels the pain of rejection. And he was going to make a statement with his life that rejection might happen to me, but rejection will not live in me. All right, you with me? Rejection happens to us, but rejection does not have to live in us because we've all met some people, and there might be some here today, unfortunately, that we feel when we have been rejected, we carry that on and, 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 and do the same to other people. We, we, we've been affected by it, we've been hurt by it, we've been pained by it, and so we're going to make sure somebody else feels that too. And friend, that is no way to live. That is no life. You don't want to keep doing that. You don't want to keep going down that path and inflicting pain on you, on others, because someone inflicted pain on you. Trust me, you do not want that to happen because you're going to find yourself all alone. No one around. You don't want to go that route. You can be free from it. You can be healed from it. The love of God does that for us in Christ Jesus. And so we see this story here. Jesus is about to declare in the place of pressing and feeling the weight of rejection. He said, it happens to me, but it will not live in me. I will carry my mission. I will live my destiny. I will fulfill my purpose that my God has for me. And I will not let the weight of the world that presses hard against me, that they don't like me, or they don't want me, they won't follow me. I will not be deterred from who I am in Christ, who I am in God. And so Jesus is setting up this example for us, this pattern. You want to see what it says? All right, me too. This is awesome. So we're going to look at three essentials here dealing with rejection. The first essential that you and I need in our life is divinity. Not that candy. If you like that candy, that's good. But I'm talking about the one who <laughs> tastes and see that the Lord is good. That divinity. Look at this real quick. Verse 39, 42, 44. It says, it says Jesus went and, he said, he went and prayed. He said, and he prayed, my father... If it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. You see how he ends that? Not, your, not my will, but your will. And then verse 42, he goes and prays a second time. He says, my father, if this cup can't be taken away unless I drink it. Your will be done. In verse 44, he went and prayed the third time saying the same thing. It's showing, Jesus is showing us the pattern of dependability upon divinity. He's feeling the weight, the pressure, and his soul is anguished. His soul is hurt. Who he is at the core is feeling the sting of being rejected. 
And what does he do? He first goes to the Father. So even Jesus needed to go to the Father. So you and I need to go to the Father. You and I need to go to the Lord. With the weight and the sting and the pressure of rejection in our life. On any level. On any level. Don't ever give it the opportunity to hunker down inside of you. Don't give it that opportunity to get a little root going. Don't give it that opportunity to, to camp out and call your soul home. Jesus is saying, look, the first thing we need to do when we are rejected is we don't need to inflict rejection on others. We need to go to the Father. We need to go to God. We need to go to our divine help. So the first core essential in any of our lives when we're dealing with this is we go to divinity. We need God in our life. We need him. And here's the thing. Here's how we can know we, that God gets it. It's because Jesus, his son, understands our weaknesses. Hebrews 4, 15 tells us, we just read it in our opening text, that Jesus, our high priest, understands all of our weaknesses and was tempted in all of our testing, yet he did not sin. He overcame, and we can go boldly to his throne of grace, and we can receive mercy in our time of help. We must go to him. And he, and he shows us this, this pattern. He goes not once, not twice, but three times in this story, letting us know something. First go to him. First go to the one who understands. You and I, people, we're all looking for someone who has some ex similar experiences to what we feel. Right? You go through something bad, you're looking for somebody who has a similar experience so that you can talk to them. And you can get their hopeful insight on something. And that's what we all do. But here's the thing. We, we need to understand Jesus can relate. Jesus can relate to us. Jesus can relate to our rejection. And so he, Jesus he teaches us, go to the Father first. And then, as he did, says he just bore his soul to him. He's let it all out there. This is hurting. This is extremely painful, what I'm dealing with, what I'm suffering here, Lord. He said, and he bore his soul to the Father. In other words, he cast all of his cares. He put himself, he, he, he put his entire being in the hands of God. And he said, not my will. Not my will, your will, Lord. Your will. So we go to God first and we put our whole life into his hands. And then the third pattern here, the third part of this, I think, teaches us that we need to keep going to him. We need to keep going to him. We need to stay and remain in relationship with him. When times get tough, when people upset you, people don't understand you, people don't get you, people don't see you, people don't pick you, people overlook you. Go to God with yourself. By all means, go to God. He gets it. He understands. And then put your whole life in his hands. If you have to keep putting that problem in his hands a million times, keep putting that problem in his hands. Because our divinity, our divine one understands who we are. He understands it. Here's the second 
core essential is we not only need divinity, but we need humanity. How about that? We need humanity. Verse 37 and 38, it said that the Lord took Peter and James and John and says he became anguished and distressed within. And he told him, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Even Jesus needed people who would stay with him and who would persist with him. And friends, so do we. We need some people in our life who will stay with us, who will persist with us. We need them. It's crazy. I know people are the ones who reject us, but yet it's people whom God puts in our life to persist with us. It's crazy in our natural mind because what, what happens, what the enemy wants us to do is to close our life off, to seal our heart off, and get us deceived into thinking we can live this life isolated all by ourselves. That we don't need anybody. We don't need anyone. It's a lie. It's a lie. It is a lie. Jesus is showing us we need, not only need divinity in our life, we need humanity. We need, but we need the right kind of humanity. Not just any old person. Not just anybody. Not just someone. But I think this pattern, he, he, Jesus had his three, Peter, James, and John. Wisdom tells us in Ecclesiastes that a threefold cord is not easily broken. And Paul, the apostle, if there's anyone who was ever, ever understood rejection outside of Jesus, it was Paul. He was the one inflicting rejection on people, but then God radically saved him and turned his life around, and then he had to go through some rejection himself. He told, he told uh, Timothy, his younger counterpart, he told him, he said, Timothy, if you can, come see me, man, I need you. Everybody has left me. Some people were out and away ministering. Others just treated me awful. He said, Alexander the coppersmith treated me with great harm. He said, but I don't hold it against him. In fact, the day I was brought before the judge, no one stood with me but the Lord. And so he ended his second letter to the Corinthians, and he prayed. He said, may the God of grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. The threefold prayer, the grace of God, the love of Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And he, he, earlier in his letter to the Corinthians, he tells them these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. So three, Peter, James, and John, I look at it this way. We need people of faith, we need people of hope, and we need people of love in our life. We need all three. We need all kinds of folks, the people of faith who help us to believe in God. When you are down at your worst and you feel awful about life, you feel terrible about the way people have treated you, anybody just love somebody, you find out somebody's talking about you? Do, you? do you find that attractive? Do you find that nice and makes you feel wonderful? Just, oh, I just love it, people are talking about me. Just look at that. Just look at that. Just talking about me, just love it. No, it makes you want to pound their face in the pavement. Right? Nobody likes that. Nobody likes being dissed, right? If you like it, we're going to have to pray for you. It's not natural to feel that you like it. But Jesus does shows us, show us we don't have to let it in us. And people of faith 
They help us to believe in God again. If your faith is in a person, as good as some people are, as good of intentions as even mine are, I will let you down. Your faith cannot be in a pastor. Your faith cannot be in a person alone. Your faith has to be in God. And people of faith always help point you back to the Lord. If you got people in your life pointing you to another person, they're pointing you to the wrong place. You need to have people of faith who will help point you to God and have faith in God and in God alone. Because he, they, when you believe in God, you begin to understand God holds you, God heals you, and God helps you. And people of faith also help you to believe in who you are in Christ. Because there ain't nothing worse feeling when you've been rejected and dejected and pushed aside and overlooked and cast aside. You start feeling like, man, I am not worthy. I must not be valuable. I must not have any goods in me. But people of faith help you to believe who you are in Christ, that you are created in the image and the likeness of Jesus. That you are above and not beneath. You are a head and not the tail. You have something to offer. You are a child of God. And he has a purpose and he has a destiny for you. But we also need people of hope. People of hope tell you that, hey, today sucks, but tomorrow will be better. You can quote that one. That's a good one. People of hope tell you that, man, yesterday's gone, today is today, but look out and look ahead, look forward, because the sun will shine again. Amen. You need people of hope, but you also need people of love. You need people of love who will, who will embrace you to accept you, people who will envelop you to support you, but people also of love are people who will empower you by telling you the truth. Believe me, you don't want friends and close-knit people who won't tell you the truth. If you got people telling you what you want to hear all the time, you will never get where you need to be, where you're, where you're called to be in the Lord. People of love tell you the truth. You got a booger hanging out of your nose? They're going to tell you you got a booger hanging out of your nose. Your fly undone? That person of truth and love is going to tell you flies undone. You're like, man, I didn't really love them that much then. <laughs> but people of love will tell you the truth. They'll tell you, hey, you're making some bad choices. The people of love will tell you, I get it, you, you experienced it, it was real for you, but here's the deal, you can't retaliate. No, you, you, can't, you can't retaliate. Love, people of love will tell you the truth. You, look, I get you, I, I'm with you, I'm, I'm your biggest fan, I'm on your side, but you can't be going on acting like a fool. I'm glad I had some people of love in my life when I was acting like a fool up in here, up in here. Right? Thank God for people of love who told me the truth. And I get it. The truth pill is not easy to always swallow. But do what you got to do to get people of love in your life. Who will be honest with you. Who will labor with you, but they will also be honest with you. And Jesus, I think, shows us that pattern of humanity, that we need people of faith, we need people of love, and people of hope. Amen?
we need that. We can find that. Hopefully you can find that in our church in its present day and time, that you can find people who will take next steps with you and walk with you and disciple you and help show you the way and help mentor you and help, help, help craft you along in what God has for your life. People that tell you the truth and love don't hate you. They love you. That's what God does. God disciplines those whom he loves. So we have divinity. We have humanity. You got time for the third one or should I just wrap up and come back next week? All right, we'll hit it. All right. We'll go for it. This third essential is, is that we need in our life when we're dealing with rejection. To not let rejection live in us like an infection, but to keep the love of God alive in us, the hope of God and the purpose of God. We need activity. What kind of activity? Now, I'm not talking about busyness. But let's look at the kind of activity that Jesus shows us. It's, Verse 39, and he says, he went a little further and he bowed with his face to the ground, praying. Verse 44, excuse me, verse uh, 42, Jesus left the disciples a second time and he prayed. Verse 44, he went to pray a third time. We, Jesus had the activity of prayer. He didn't go gossiping. He didn't go taking a stroll through memory lane, telling everybody there, everybody done hurt him. Everybody done cut me down. You won't believe what so-and-so did to me. He didn't go starting a campaign of getting signatures to, to get Judas Iscariot kicked out. He did it himself. But what did he do? The activity of prayer. Here's a good litmus test for us. Before we involve other people into our problem, we need to involve ourselves in prayer. That if we have not invested ourselves enough in praying about it first, then we don't need to take the time to get everybody else involved at that moment in time. And Jesus is teaching us we need the activity of prayer in our life. We need the activity of prayer. And to kind of close this whole portion out, I'm, I'm going to use Peter's instructions that he gives us in 1 Peter 5. And I'm going to read it through the, the, uh, the Passion Translation. We don't have that particular version just yet. So I just want you to listen to these, these four thoughts here that Peter gives on praying. That when we involve ourselves in the activity of prayer, the first thing he says is that we can experience a great exchange. 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7, he says, If you bow low in God's awesome presence, he will eventually exalt you. Did you catch that? If you bow low in God's presence, he will eventually exalt you as you leave the timing in his hand. Pour out all your worries and stress upon him. Leave them there, for he always tenderly cares for you. When we invest our life with the activity of prayer, with what is pressing hard against us, in this case we're talking about the pain of rejection, that we pray about it. When we pray about it, that means we are bowing low in God's presence. We are humbling ourselves. 
and that at the right time, He will exalt us, but we must exchange this great pressure that is upon us for what He has to offer us. It's the great exchange. Peter says, look, bow low to God, God will raise you up. Pour out your worry, pour out your stress, pour out the way you feel, the way Jesus showed us in this prayer. Pour yourself out on Him because He cares for you. You will know when you've invested your life enough in in the activity of prayer about a certain thing when you know that you have truly left it in His hands. And you go on about your day and your hour or your time. Doesn't mean you won't come back with it again. There's been multiple times something has really grieved me, something has really gotten to me, that I have to take it back again and again and again and again because I don't want to keep picking it up. I don't want to keep carrying it. I'm tired of it following me. I'm tired of it sticking to me like Velcro. I want to really exchange my great pain for his great peace. But we've got to invest ourselves in the activity of prayer. Here's the second thing Peter teaches us. It says, when we invest ourselves in the activity of prayer, we, it allows us to be on guard for our great enemy. Verse 8 9, he says, be well balanced, always alert, because your enemy, the devil. Can't fill in a blank with somebody's name. Your enemy, the devil, roams around incessantly, relentlessly, continuously like a roaring Line looking for its prey to devour. Take a decisive stand against him. Mark your territory. Define your life. The blood of the Lamb covers me. Resist him at every attack with strong, vigorous faith. When we invest our life in the activity of prayer, and this thing of rejection is hitting us hard, it helps us to be on guard to understand that our enemy is not a person, our enemy is the devil. That he goes around like a roaring lion. He may roar, but my prey roars back. He may roar at me, but my prayers roar back. He may roar at me to get me to think so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so are my enemies. But when I pray, my prayer reverberates in the heavens and it gets louder in my head and bigger in my heart and it helps me to understand that I don't hate them for not liking me. That I don't wish ill will on them because of what they did to me. Prayer will be louder than the roars of the enemy. And the third thing is this, there's just four, three is this. When we invest ourselves in the activity of prayer, we remember that our great experience is not isolated. Here's what Peter says. He says, you know that your believing brothers and sisters all around the world, all around the world are experiencing the same kinds of troubles that you endure. That when we invest our life in the activity of prayer, it keeps us mindful that somebody else is also going through what I'm going through. That when we invest ourselves in the activity of prayer, it crushes selfishness and a victim mentality. That I am not the only one who has gone or is going through this right now. 
there are people all around the world, brothers and sisters in the Lord, who are also experiencing some form, some pain of rejection. We've got to remember that, church, that we, your problem is not your only problem. You're not the only one with that problem. You're not the only one. Because what that does, that starts to get you to believe, well, man, people just don't care. That if they could just see how big my problem is for me. It's not that people don't care or people don't want to see how big that problem is for you. It's first you need to let God know how big it is and then let the, your problem know how big your God is and that he will deal with your stuff. Amen. Why? Because we're relational. God's relational. He can relate. He can relate. If I saw my baseball coach today that rejected me back then, I'd just give him a, hey, what's up, coach? How you been? <laughs> Let's go catch a game. Let's go on the real, the real field. Let's go to, like, you know, professional league level field. You can buy, and I'll go with you. No. <laughs> That's how you know when it's not an infection anymore, when you can see the person who did it, and you just keep on going. You're not afraid. 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 You just keep on moving. Don't have to be friends with them. Don't have to be close to them, because I get it. You don't trust them. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is free. Get it? Got it? Good. But you don't, you're, it's not an infection inside. You've got affection happening. And lastly, i got to get done. He says, number four, involving ourselves in the activity of prayer. Can you guys, could you please come back? I'd love for you to come back up, man. Help me, help us close out. It teaches us the activity of prayer does this. It teaches us that my rejection might be great, but Jesus is greater. My rejection might be great, but Jesus is greater. Verse 10 and 11, he, Peter says, And then, after your brief suffering, the God of all loving grace who has called you to share in His eternal glory in Christ, He will personally and powerfully restore you. He will make you stronger than ever. He will set you firmly in place. He will build you up. I mean, that, what a promise of God's word. Your, re, your rejection might be great, but Jesus is greater. He will personally and powerfully restore you. You were broken down by rejection. You were beat down by, by that type of stuff. But Jesus will personally and powerfully restore you. And he will make you stronger than ever, man. You won't be weak because of what happened to you. When you let Jesus be great in you, he will make you stronger. He will set you firmly in place. Not with pride, but with contentment in who you are in Christ. And he will build you up. At the right time, he will exalt you. He will bring you around. So what? Coach didn't want me then. God wanted me. God had a purpose for me. God had a plan for me. God knew that, man, if I could just get the idol of his heart off of baseball, I could get his understanding and affection on me. 
than his fear of speaking in front of people, that he'll have a room full of people that will come and hear him every week. Believe me, I would not choose this. I would have chosen baseball. But God used that rejection in my life. And he personally and powerfully restored me. He stood me up and he has ever since been building me up and making my life firm for him. That I understand that who I am is in Christ and who Christ is in me. And it says he has all the power needed to do this. Who has the power? Jesus. Who has the power? Jesus. Jesus has all the power to do this. Who do we need to go to first? Jesus. Who do, need, who do we need to stick with? Jesus. Who do we need to stay with? Jesus. Jesus has all the power to do this. Who has the power? I feel like a pep rally. Who has the power? Who's got the power? Who has the power to free you? Who has the power to redeem you? Who has the power to heal you? Who has the power to help you? Somebody going to get this. Who has the power to push rejection out of your life? Who has the power to squash infection out of your life? Who has the power to be beautiful in your heart? That's still Jesus. It's not mama and daddy. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Can we stand to our feet? Because that was the final words that Jesus gave his disciples. He came back to his disciples after doing all of those things. Involving divinity, humanity, and the activity of prayer. And he came to his disciples who were asleep. Teaches us another lesson. That as good of the intentions of people are, sometimes we will fall asleep on each other. We have to go to work. We got a family to raise. We got things to do. Doesn't mean you can't count on people or call on people. But you better learn how to pray. You better learn how to get a hold of God. You better learn how to involve yourself in the activity of prayer because he comes to him and he says, Hey, fellas, it's time to rise up and let's be going. When you involve divinity and humanity, the right ones, and you keep yourself locked in the activity of prayer, it empowers you to rise and move forward. This isn't some motivational speech. This is the power of the gospel that's in Jesus Christ. That when you make him first and you keep him first, you might get knocked down, you might get pushed over, you might get overlooked, you might get hit and hit hard, you might get slammed to the mat, it might be a TKO, but on the third day, Christ always gets up, on the third day, Christ always rises, on the third day, Christ always resurrects, on the third day of your problem, on the third day of your pain, on the third day of your rejection, whatever it is, however long it's been going on, put Jesus first, keep Jesus first and keep walking with him. Amen.